Awesome. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Kelly, Steve, and team. Uh, Greg, for singing with us today. And good morning, church. How are you? How are the rest of you? It's good. It's good to see you. Hey, listen, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, my name is Adam Robinson. I'm the senior pastor here. And we are glad that you are able to worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, and hey, before we jump in for today, I wanted to give you an update uh, on just some things that have been going on all throughout the year. And as we come towards the end of the year, thank you guys, um, it's always exciting to kind of see how this has come together. Um, in all of my years of ministry, I have never seen a church more generous than this one. Uh, you, you never have to, to bend anybody's army when there's a, there, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, <laughs> Bubbles is ready to go. All right, so listen, I'm, I'm about to prove it for everybody. So here it is. Uh, listen, you guys are always just jumping at the chance to give and to serve and to love other people. I just want to show you what y'all have done uh, this year. First off, our mission partnerships. Uh, we've got different groups that we help out. You might have participated in our fall food drive, over 800 pounds of food. This is all just this campus, by the way. Uh, 800 pounds of food for the food insecure uh, collected here for Alabama Childhood Food Solutions, helping people right here in Shelby County. This is on top of so many of you guys who volunteer down there who are helping those right here in our area. Uh, two Feathers Back. Backpacks. We did backpacks and bears. 180 of those came right here at the Mount Laurel campus. Uh, we filled those backpacks and they are being delivered as we speak uh, to children on Native American reservations all across the country. Uh, it's happening right now, kind of giving them that Christmas joy, but also an opportunity to hear the gospel as well. Uh, and you guys just kind of blew that out of the water. This is to say nothing of all the other things that uh, we do, whether it be helping out Operation Christmas Child or the, the Presence for Angel Tree. Uh, there's so many different community groups have individual uh, mission groups that they, they help out. So lots of different partnerships there. Uh, but then there's just our missions giving. Uh, here at Double Oak, we want to give at least 10% of our budget outwardly into uh, missions opportunities in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and for here at the Mount Laurel campus, that have been about 285000 We actually went over that this year. Uh, this is including all of our, our, our missionaries that we support, our mission organizations that we support. This is our mission trips. Uh, this is our local ministry partners that we partner with. Uh, uh, Greg is one of those who is singing here today. He helps out with Awaken Ministries. Uh, so many different local groups that we're helping. Uh, and so that was almost $300,000 there. Then on top of that, we had Give United so we can help even more groups locally. Almost $100,000 you raised in just one month in September when the Ukraine war broke out. We have opportunity there. We have specific people who are able to help us get resources into Ukraine. $70,000 you guys raised and the benevolence need. We help people, usually not even in our congregation, over $16,000 uh, helping different people with different needs there. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, we have our Chelsea Campus Missional Support. Uh, we started our Chelsea Campus years ago. We're still helping them kind of get on their feet. So they're moving towards independence, but we're continuing to help them. Uh, and so this year alone, another $150,000 uh, has gone to help them. And when you wrap all of that up together, you get over $630,000 we've been able to pour out of this place to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ and to spread his name in this city and far beyond. And that is something to give God praise for, is it not? Come on. That's exciting. And please look, you might think that's somebody else doing that. Look to your left and right. That's us. It's the people in this room and the people who came in the first service that's the people doing that in one year. Never underestimate what the Lord can do through us. 
And so I'm just, I want to, one, honor the Lord for what he has done, but I want to thank you for your, not just your, your obedience to give, but your faithfulness, and even more than that, your generosity. To say, I want to find ways over and above to give. God is using it in powerful ways. And man, I just want you to see a little bit of that. So let's take a moment just to ask the Lord just to, to bless all of that and to thank him for it. So bow your heads with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, we are just grateful for all that you give to us. Lord, you said of your people that you were going to bless us that we might be a blessing. We're not just being blessed just to have that, but that we might share your love, your life, and even your resources with people who desperately need it. And Father, I'm so thankful this year for the opportunities you've given us, the blessings that you've given us that, Lord, our people have just turned around to to pour right back out. And so, Lord, we, we lift all of this up to you and ask that you would do through these things more than anything we could ever do on our own. God, that you would take our gifts and multiply them tenfold, Father, that your name might go forth, that you might be glorified, that more people might know you. Lord, as we preach the gospel, we will be able to love and serve people and meet their needs in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, it is a privilege to be able to join you in your work. And so thank you for your blessings. Thank you for these opportunities. But Lord, we give you the honor and praise for what you are doing here. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. And we all said... Amen. Amen. All right, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 is where we're going to be in just a moment. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. As we continue our Advent season uh, talking about the heart of Christmas. What is it that we're supposed to be feeling as we go through this Christmas season? And a couple weeks ago we talked about the hope of Christmas. That Christmas is not simply a time where we look back. It's also a time where we look forward. We have an anticipation to what God is going to do in his second coming as we remember his first coming. So there's a hope regardless of our circumstances. Then last week, our executive pastor, Dave Watson, walked us through peace. There's peace that we get to enjoy at Christmas. And that peace is not simply the, the absence of conflict. It is a settled peace between us and our Savior. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, and that will never change. We get to enjoy that. But this week, and we've already talked about it in the lighting of the candle, we're going to talk a little bit about joy. What does it look like to experience the joy of the Christmas season? So let me just ask you a general question to get us kicked off. How do you feel about Christmas? Like just gut reaction, and I'm not just talking, I'm talking about the whole thing, the whole season, the whole endeavor, everything, everybody. How do you feel about Christmas? Because in general, almost all of us are going to fall into one of two camps. You're either going to be on Team Santa or Team Grinch. Those are the two options, right? And all of us in the room, some of us, we kind of cluster in the middle there, but you're generally on one of those two teams, right? You might be Team Santa, right? You love Christmas and you know who you are, right? You love it. You turned on the Christmas music in September. You could not wait. Man, you had your decorations up before Halloween. You love it when they start selling stuff in July. You love it. You love the music, the food, the, the, the decorations, the lights, the parties, the gifts, the, the family. You love all of it. Give you every single bit of it. You drink it in. You've got all the stuff you adore. Christmas. This is your jam. This is your holiday. It's your season. You are on Team Santa. It is ho, ho, ho all the way home. You love it. But that is not everybody in this room. Because for some of you, and you know who you are, you're on Team Grinch. Please don't point at people. That's rude. Okay? 
And you're just like, this is not my jam. This is not my season. And I do not enjoy this whole thing. You have the opposite reaction when it comes to Christmas. You hear the music coming out. It's like, oh, so sappy. You see the, mu- the movies come on, like, oh, so sentimental. You see all the decorations, oh, so gaudy. Adam, don't you understand? This is just money. It's consumerism, man. Look what the world has done. to This is all just about money, money, money. Bye, bye, bye. That's all this thing is, and I'm just ready for it to be done. I can't get anything done. Everybody's on vacation. Everything slows down. I'm just ready for it to be over. And you are a Grinch, all right? It's not ho, 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 it's bah humbug, to quote yet another Grinch. And that's just kind of how you feel, and that's all right. You're not required by law to love the Christmas season. You're not, right? But look, while all of us kind of fall in one of those two camps, I wonder if there's a third team you and I might join. And instead of being on Team Santa or on Team Grinch, I wonder if you and I could join Team Shepherd. Because there's actually a different way of finding joy, and you actually can't find it through Team Santa or through Team Grinch. There's not any in Team Grinch, but there's actually not a whole lot in Team Santa either. If you want to find the joy of Christmas, you got to find that in a very specific place. And so we're going to look at a very famous passage, Luke chapter 2. This is the story of the shepherds and the angels. You might be familiar with it. Uh, but this morning, I want us to do our best to kind of get into the shoes of the shepherds. What might this experience have been like? So we are on the night of Jesus' birth. Jesus has just been born in Bethlehem. you got some random shepherds, and they're going to be alerted to what has just happened. So let's pick up where we are. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Listen to what the scripture says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We just sang that. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Again, a famous passage that many of us are familiar with, but I want you to notice the progression that happens in the hearts of the shepherds over the course of this story. We can't know exactly what they were doing as this story begins, but I think we can make some pretty educated guesses. We know the setting. It's the middle of the night. So here you are, you've got shepherds out in their fields, just hanging out. It's dark. It's been dark for hours. They do not have phones to distract them. They're just sitting there. P.S. These are shepherds. They're not typically really looked up to in society. Many people look down on them. And not only that, these are the shepherds that got to pull the graveyard shift. So it's the middle of the night. They're bored. It's dark. They're just sitting there minding their own business. It doesn't sound like they're typically joyful. 
They might not have been unhappy, but they don't seem generally joyful. And yet by the end of the story, look at where it ends. It says that they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen. Now they have this joy in them. They are leaving rejoicing. They are leaving with joy. And so this joy that the angels have, the joy that they are proclaiming to the world, it's like it's infectious. And so now these shepherds who did not have joy, they actually have joy that they are taking back into their experience. And this is the joy that God is offering to us as well. And so what would it look like for us to be able to join in? What would it look like for us to be able to experience that kind of joy? Well, to understand that, we need to break this down. Uh, What does this actually look like? What do we mean when we're talking about joy? Now, that might seem very self-explanatory. You say, Adam, well, it's, it's just joy, right? It's just joy. It's when you're overjoyed, right? It's when you find those things coming out of you. It's the, woohoo! It's the, yes! It's the, it's the smile that just kind of comes on your face. You didn't try to do that. It's just happening. It's that feeling that just kind of wells up inside of you. There's just a, a joy that happens. I and mean, that's joy, right? Well, kind of. That's actually not joy. That's just the emotion of joy. It's part of it to be sure, but it's not the fullness of it. You see, in joy, you've actually got two parts. You have the emotion of joy, and then there's the state of joy. There's the emotion of joy. That's just kind of what we feel. And then there's the state of joy. You can be in actual state of joyfulness. Now, that emotion is really just happiness. It's just the happiness that we feel with different things. But joy is a little bit different because joy has a grounding. Look at verse 10 and notice what it says here. When the angels come in, it says, I bring you good news of great joy. All right, so the joy didn't just happen. It wasn't just a fleeting feeling that just kind of hit the shepherds. It has been caused by good news. I bring you good news that has led to great joy. And so the joy has a, a grounding, a foundation, and it's this news. And you can see this in lots of different places. So think back to the end of World War II. We've all seen the pictures of those newspaper headlines or just the pictures of the, the parties in the streets when it was finally announced the war is over. Peace has now been achieved. Victory is won. All the boys are coming home. And there are just parties everywhere. The streets are filled. There's ticker tape parades. I mean, everybody is overjoyed. Good news has led to great joy. All right, well, think about a student who's going to find out you get to go to the college that you want to go to. Right, you've been waiting on this news and all of a sudden you get this news. You get to go to the school that you want to go to. That is good news. That leads to joy. You're overjoyed. This is what I wanted. This is where I'm going. This, this changes things. And so good news leads to great joy. Think about it when somebody gets engaged. A guy's going to propose. Hopefully a woman says yes. Okay. And both of those are good news, right? I mean, for the woman, she's getting to hear the words that she's wanted to hear. She's getting to hear the proposal. The guy hopefully hears yes. That's the news he's waiting on, right? Well, for both of them, that's good news. That leads to great joy, all right? So it has a foundation. Now, this is important for us to understand. And you might say, Adam, you're just kind of splitting hairs here. I mean, why are you splitting hairs? Well, because if you don't understand that there's two different things, you'll end up just chasing the happiness, and the happiness cannot fulfill you. 
You see, when you have a grounding here, the state of joy can last far beyond the emotion of joy. So after World War II was announced and after the party was over and after they cleared all the streets of the ticker tape, guess what? The peace remained. They're still in a state of peace. After the graduation party where we celebrate where you're going, you still get to go to college. You get this brand new experience that the party is over, but the state remains. When you get married, okay, listen, long after the, the engagement and the, and the wedding ceremony and the reception and the honeymoon, long after the feelings kind of go up and down, hey, the state of marriage remains. Okay, so the joy is built on something. It's not just built on emotion. It's built on a reality. If you do not understand that difference, you will simply chase the emotion. And this is what some of us do with Christmas. Because we love Christmas, but what we really love is how all the things of Christmas make us feel. If we don't go for the news, we will just go for the fun. We'll go for the enjoyment. We want anything that makes us feel good. And so this is why we love all the stuff. And so we, we, we turn on music. Why? Because it's almost like a, like a soul hack where you can kind of use nostalgia and old music that's going to help you connect to joyful feelings in your past or joyful experiences in your past. And so we turn it on to kind of make ourselves feel good. That's why we enjoy all the different kinds of music. Food. Food can give you an endorphin rush. And when you have as many treats in your home as I do right now, listen, that's a good day, Right? You can just keep that thing going. I mean, you can feel really good having all these sweets and all these different things that you do. You can also get an endorphin rush from presents, right? You get something that you wanted. Even giving a gift can give you kind of a rush. We enjoy that. Maybe it's the coziness of Christmas where you just get all these cozy things and you get all your decorations. You kind of hunker down with your family. You sit, you stop, you enjoy. You've got all these different experiences that make you feel good. There's nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it. Enjoy all of that. But please understand, all of those feelings will ultimately go away, which is why we are desperately stacking as many of them together as possible and calling that the joy of Christmas. We just got to have more, 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 more. You got to do it, do it, do it, do it. We love it. We love it. We got to have more. So I, I got more music, more food, more presents, more parties, more rituals, more stuff, even more parties, more presents, more food, more this, more that. We just got to stack them because if I stop stacking them, then the feeling's going to end. Do you know what this really sounds like? It sounds like an alcoholic who recognizes that if I stop drinking, I stop feeling good. So I got to keep drinking. So I can continue to feel good. Oh, wait, are we, are we holiday junkies? Is that what we are? Is that what we're doing with Christmas? If I just got to have all my stuff, because that's joy, right? Wrong. What if it's not? What if that's just happiness? But that's not joy. You see, joy has a foundation. It is a state. You need good news to lead to great joy. So what is the joy of Christmas? Let's go on to verse 11 because he's going to tell you what that good news is. Here's the good news of great joy. It is this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ is born. This is the good news. But he says something very specific. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is given three different titles. And here's the interesting thing. This is the only place in the entire New Testament where those three titles show up in one verse. Jesus is called Savior, Christ, and Lord 
all throughout the New Testament. This is the only place you see it collapsed into one spot. It's almost like Luke is telegraphing here. This is who Jesus is. He's going to flesh it out for the rest of the gospel. But this is Jesus. And all of those words have meaning. Now, look, you might have heard those terms before, especially if you grew up in church, Savior, Christ, Lord. But I want you to hear him like a shepherd. Hear him like a a day laborer out in the fields. And think about what these words mean. First off, Jesus is a Savior. What does that mean? Well, it means I'm in trouble. It means I need saving. I'm in a problem state and I cannot save myself. But Jesus is coming to be my rescuer. I got a problem and Jesus is coming to be my Savior. Secondly, he's the Christ. The shepherds might have heard that one. That word means Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's like the, 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 the uber David, right? The, the new leader who's going to rise up and kind of bring my nation back to prominence. He's going to bring the kingdom of God. But this is a leader that has come from God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. And then thirdly, and this is the most interesting, he's the Lord. Now that would have pricked up the shepherd's ears because this is the word that is used for God the Father. If you read Luke chapter 1, Luke will use this word to describe God the Father 17 times. 17 times when he's talking about the Father, he says, Lord, Lord, the Lord said this, the Lord did that, the Lord did this. And now here's what he's saying. There's a baby born over there. He is Savior, Christ, and Lord. It is as if the angels would say, you guys want to see God? He's over there in a manger. That's shocking. That's crazy talk. And this is, might be where you start to get a little bit nervous. Because if that child who was born is Savior, Christ, and Lord, okay, then that changes things for me. This is the good news of the gospel. You see, look, there's a reason why we just want to kind of leave Christmas at Christmas. We want to leave Jesus as a baby in a manger. There's a reason why Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights likes to pray to little baby Jesus. All right? Because... Little baby Jesus is just little baby Jesus. He's just a little baby Jesus in a manger. And little baby Jesus is not going to do anything to you. He's not going to tell you anything. He's not going to ask you anything. He's just there. Who doesn't like little baby Jesus? But if this child is a savior and Christ and Lord, that just changed my reality. And I got a change in response. I can no longer live the way I'm living, be who I thought I was, if this child is with a Savior, a Christ, and Lord. And so I got to live with that good news. I got to drink in that good news. So if you break that down, I think this is what God is saying to us. This is the good news. Let me give you one statement in four pieces and listen to what God says, because this is the pathway to joy. It is this. First off, he is here. God is here. If God is in that manger, if he has been born in that manger, it means that God is here. They call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's what that word means. It means that God is here, right here. It means that God is ending the 400 years of silence that the Jews had endured up until that point. They would have been right in thinking it would, God may have just walked away from us. Maybe he abandoned us. He, we, we never got it right. He would be right to find some other nation to be the God of. Maybe he just doesn't like us anymore. Maybe he's bringing judgment. But no, if God is here, it means this. He's here for us. He's right here in our midst. He's present. Which begs the question, let me ask you, where is God to you? 
Like, like when you think about God positionally, where is he? I know the theological answer to that, and I hope that you do too. But as when you just feel this, where is God to you? Because for many of us, when you say, where is God? And I just kind of ask you, some people go up there, right? Or out there. Here's what Christmas just told you. He's right here. Christmas says that God is here. He is not far away from you. He is not off somewhere else. He is present. He is here. He is right here with us. He is here. Here's the second thing. He's here to save. He's here to save. His title is Savior. What does that mean? It means that he is coming to rescue us. We have a problem. We are broken and we are in slavery to sin. If you do not like that concept, take a hard look at your life and recognize we're not okay. At the very least, look at the world that you and I live in and realize it's people just like us who make it the way it is. We are not okay. And Jesus Christ says, listen, you are in slavery to sin. You are literally in the domain of darkness. And when Jesus comes along, he is not simply coming along as a teacher. He's not here as a mystic. He's not here as a moral guide. He says, no, I'm here as a rescuer. I'm here to just transfer you over from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. I am here to save you. You cannot save yourself, which means this. God can save you from you. When you and I can't get our acts together, when we can't figure it out, God says, I can save you from you. I am a savior. So he's here to save. Here's the third thing. He's here to save sinners. He's here to save sinners. The fact that Jesus has come and he's announcing himself to these shepherds means this. It means that forgiveness is offered to us. You say, Adam, how do you know that? That's not said in the text. Well, you got to beg the question, why is he talking to them at all? Why these shepherds? How come they got chosen to hear this? I honestly don't think it's because these are like the best shepherds in the universe and they won the shepherd lottery. As if they are out there in the fields by night polishing the most selfless shepherd award that they have won four years running. That's not what they're doing. They're just shepherds. I don't know if they're particularly good or bad, but they're not perfect. They're just there. And God's saying, I'm coming to you, which means this. If I'm coming to you, it means I'm willing to forgive you. Of whoever you are and whatever you have done, I am coming to you on purpose. The shepherds did not deserve this audience. They did not deserve to be included. What they deserve is what we deserve. And what we deserve is death. What we deserve is judgment. And what we get is the Son of God come to be with us. That's forgiveness. The fact that Jesus is here means I am willing to forgive you for whatever you have done. He's here to save sinners like me. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come here to save sinners like me. You need to make this specific because God's not just saying this to everybody. He's saying this to you. So how do you know that? Well, think about these shepherds for just a second. Who are these guys? No one knows. They're quite literal nobodies. No one knows who they are. They're not named in scripture. They don't show up later at some later date and reveal themselves to be some important figure. Tradition doesn't even have their names. We have no idea who these people are. Nobody knows who they are. Save. 
for the God of the universe who knows exactly who they are. And says, nobody else knows your name, but I do. Nobody knows where you are in the middle of the night, but I do. Nobody knows what's going on in your life, but I do. Jesus knows them and specifically reveals it to them. Please understand, the shepherds did not just stumble onto the dress rehearsal for the angels. It's not like they just happened to show up and go, oh, look at that. The angels came to them on purpose. I am declaring this to you. It's specific, which means that God is here to save a sinner just like you and just like me. Which begs another question. I'm full of questions today. Here's another question. Does God love you generically or specifically? Well, a couple of you are getting there. But think about it. Does he love you generically or specifically? Because it's easy enough to believe that God loves the world. It's easy enough. God loves the world. Almost like it's a blanket. He just kind of chucks over the world. I love all you people. And so when you think, does God love me? Well, yeah, he loves me. But I mean, God loves everybody. And I'm technically a part of everybody. So yes, I guess God loves me. But he doesn't like love me. Like he doesn't love just specifically me. I mean, if it was just me, I got questions as to whether God would actually love me. But since I'm just a part of the crew, I guess God loves me. Here's what God's announcement to the shepherds tells you. He does not love you generically. He loves you specifically. He knows your name. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows where you've been and what you've done. And here's what he says. I have come to bring Christmas salvation to you. Specifically. I love you specifically. This is the glory of Christmas. This is what he's bringing to us. He says, listen, I'm coming to you. I have come to save a sinner like you. This is the good news that can lead to great joy for anybody who will live in it. That's the question is, are we going to live in it? Will we listen to this? Can we actually agree and say, yes, this is what Jesus is doing for me. This is what he has done for me. If I can listen to these things, that is actually going to lead to joy. Listen, there is not enough food in the world at Christmas time to lead you to joy. There is not enough parties at Christmas time to actually get you to lasting joy. There's not enough music at Christmas time that can actually sustain lasting joy. Because at the end of the day, it's all got to go back in the box. By the first of the year, it's all back in the box. And instead of feasting on the food, you got to go to the gym, which is not nearly as fun. Or you got to pay the credit card bill for all the presents you just pay, you bought. Not nearly as fun. The music's gone. Decorations are down. And look, if you're just trying to find happiness in the things of the season, that's fun for a moment, but it cannot last. What if you and I learned the skill, the skill of living in the joy that God's coming brings to us? We said, regardless of my circumstances, I can live in the joy of Christmas. Because that's what these guys do. At the end of this story, look what it says. It says, and they left, they returned, glorifying and praising God. Where'd they return to? Back to their fields. It's most likely still the middle of the night. So what has changed in their circumstances? Not a thing. It's still dark. They're still shepherds. They still get looked down upon. And quite honestly, they've been told that Jesus is born. That Jesus will not do anything publicly for 30 years. Which means that some of these shepherds probably won't live long enough to see Jesus do anything. 
Their circumstances haven't changed a bit. And yet they are returning with joy. How can that be? Because Jesus' coming has changed everything. And when I can live knowing that this is now my reality, it can give me joy regardless of my circumstances. That's Team Shepherd. And look, that's a skill that all of us need. Because for many of us in this room, Christmas is a happy time. You're having the most wonderful time of the year, and that's great. Just please be aware that for others of us in this room, that is not the case. Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. In fact, Christmas is sometimes the worst time of the year. I'll be honest, it's been a tough week this week. We have had a lot, we got a lot of grief that has just erupted onto the scene this past week. Three members in our church this week lost their mothers. Some are sitting here right now. Three people who had to say goodbye to their moms. Just in, uh, this is just Mount Laurel, just this congregation. If you're on our email, emails, you've seen that. Here's one we haven't sent out yet. Um, early Saturday morning, Brian Stevens, who we've been praying for for three weeks, uh, finally went to be with the Lord after a long, long battle with cancer, leaving behind his wife, Nicole, three young children, and a lot of grieving family members who we've gotten to meet over the past few weeks. And that's just pain. It's just loss that people are having to deal with right at Christmas. For some of you, you're dealing with your first. It's the first Christmas without. Mom, dad, brother, sister, uncle, you name the person. It's the first. But honestly, it doesn't even matter if it's first. When it comes to Christmas, it doesn't matter if it's the first or the third or the fifth or the tenth. It's just a reminder that this person is not here with us anymore. And every single year, this just gets brought up. You get this reminder that things are different and you struggle. You say, Adam, I don't feel happy. I don't feel joyful. And quite honestly, I don't know if I ever will. I don't know if we can ever go back again because things are different now. And it might be a loss. It might just be chaos. It might just be chaos in your life for whatever reason. Medical issues, job issues, relationship issues. I experienced this a few years ago. Uh, many of you guys know uh, I married late. I got married when I was 37. Uh, and all during that time beforehand, I was just single. I was traveling around preaching, doing my thing. Um, but uh, being single as an adult is hard. Uh, if you did not experience that, I hope that you will take this to heart. When you are single and it's Christmas time, it's not nearly as fun as the rest of us. Because when you're single, guess who's putting up the tree? You are. That's it. There's nobody to share that with. There's nobody to ask anybody to help you with. You want decorations? You got to put it all up. You want to ask anybody to look good? Doesn't matter. It's just you. That's it. You want to sit and watch a Christmas movie? You'll be doing that by yourself. It's not nearly as fun. We take for granted, if you have a spouse, all these things that you get to do. And I had had roommates and stuff, but it just wasn't as fun. Uh, And so here I am. This was, I was living in Forest Lakes uh, and I had gone through a terrible breakup. I, this girl just destroyed my heart. And it was just a couple months before Christmas. So by the time we got to Christmas, I said, I don't want to do that this year because I do not feel joyful. And so I boycotted Christmas. No Christmas. Team Grinch. Don't care. Not bringing the tree down. Not putting any, any decorations up. 
I'm not going to watch Christmas movies. I'm not going to listen to Christmas music. I'm going to pretend it's just another month because I do not feel like what everybody else is feeling. I feel terrible. And so nobody else is here to do it for me. I am done. No Christmas. And I wonder how many of you are sitting there right now. And that's where your life is. P.S. Please don't forget all of your single friends at Christmas season. Please don't forget all of your divorced friends. Please do not forget all your widowed friends or neighbors. Think about them when it comes to your gatherings. Of like, hey, maybe they could come and join us and be a part of our deal. I, somebody came here first service. I, I saw her. She came from a long way to be here with us. And uh, she said, I came here so I wouldn't be alone at Christmas. She's single. She said, I just came here. She's got great friends in this congregation who love her. I came so I wouldn't be alone at Christmas. Don't forget people when you're at Christmas. But, but if you're here today and, and you're in that spot and say, Adam, I'm, I'm on Team Grinch. I don't want to be on Team Grinch. But I don't feel any of that. And I don't know if I can feel any of that. So I guess I'm stuck here, right? That answer is no. Because here's the thing. The, the goal is not to get back on Team Santa. The goal is to be on Team Shepherd. It is possible to experience joy even in the midst of grief. It was the early Jews who pioneered this concept. And the Christians have taken it farther. But we see it most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, who said it's possible to experience joy even if you're not in great circumstances. To experience joy even if you're also grieving. Those two things can coexist. So look at this. This is John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus says this during the Last Supper. This is the night before his crucifixion. Look what he says. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All right, Jesus just told us two things. Number one, that he has full joy in himself. He is joyful. And secondly, you and I can experience that joy. Number one, Jesus has full joy in himself. He is joyful. And secondly, it is possible for us to live in that joy. This is what he is telling us. But that's interesting if you know what happens next. Because within hours of him making this statement, he will go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he will be on his hands and knees in agony. He is freaking out about what is about to happen to him the next day. I doubt he was very happy when he is being nailed to a cross. There's not a lot of joy. There's not a happiness or good feelings there. And yet Jesus says, I have the fullness of joy within myself. Here's what he means. It's possible for us. I don't have to enjoy pain. I don't have to enjoy these things. But just because I feel grief, just because circumstances are bad, just because things haven't been fixed yet, does not preclude the fact that you can have the fullness of joy in the person of Jesus Christ. That because Jesus Christ has come, he has changed things. He's here, he's present, he forgives, he's with us, he can save. And when you and I know that, even though we got to go back into our shepherd field, even though we got to go back to where it's still dark, back to places where it's not all fixed yet, I go back different. I can take the joy with me into that because Christ has come. You cannot get that through the accoutrements of Christmas. You need Christ to have the joy of Christmas. But when you live in the good news that can lead to great joy, okay, that's what transforms us. So what if we chose that this year? From wherever you are, good or bad, what if we chose 
that. To, re- to recognize, wait a minute, he's here. He's here for you. You're not alone. You may feel alone. You are not alone. You may feel abandoned. You may feel left. You're not left because God came all this way to you. You're not alone. And so spend time with him. Now, don't just chase after all the stuff of Christmas. Spend time with him. Guess what? He's here to save. It means that, yes, he can fix things. And by the way, he is a conqueror. He is a victor. It means that he has conquered sin and death, which means that death doesn't get the last laugh. And all of our lost in Jesus Christ, there will be a day of reunion. There will be a day we see them again. There can be life, even when the world says it wins, God says it doesn't, because I have sent my son to die on the cross. Better than that, to rise again. He's alive today. I worship a risen Savior, and you can have life in him. Death does not win. That's what Christmas tells you. We can grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. Because Jesus is a savior. Thirdly, he forgives. Some of us at Christmas time are constantly reminded of mistakes from the past, pain from the past, because you've got broken gatherings and you've got broken homes and this has been going on for years and you can't help but be reminded. And for some of us, we might say, Adam, that was my fault. Maybe not totally my fault, but that was my fault. And I'm constantly reminded of my failures. And the Lord says, regardless of your failures, I love you, I understand, and I forgive you. It doesn't matter if other people won't. I can. I can forgive you. I can heal you. I forgive you for all the things that you have done simply by my grace. You don't deserve that. I just give that to you. You can't get that from the things of the world. We find that in Jesus Christ, he's here to save a sinner like me. This is specific. It's not just for everybody, it's for you. And the question is, will you receive it? He's given it to you. Unto you, a child is born. Unto me, a child is born. But if I'm going to live in joy, I got to receive it. So what happens when I actually just enjoy all the stuff of the season, whatever good stuff there is, man, enjoy it. I hope you love it. Take it for what it is, though. But if you want joy that lasts far beyond December 25th, we need to recognize that there is a Christ who is a Savior, who is God the Lord, and he's here to save a sinner like you and me. What if we lived in that joy this season? So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. His bad bowed and eyes closed. The choir is going to return and they're going to sing a very familiar Christmas song to us. And instead of just hearing a Christmas song, I, I wonder if you could take this time with heads bowed and eyes closed just to kind of ask yourself, okay, so, so what, what team am I on? Maybe, maybe you're on Team Santa and you were just chasing after every good vibe you can. Every good feel you can. And, and you're, just, you're frustrated while you're still anxious in the middle of it because we're always worried, what, what do we do when it runs out? What if you could recognize that about yourself and say, maybe I can just enjoy this for what it is, but I need to start turning to Jesus Christ. What if you're on Team Grinch this morning? Say, Adam, I got grief. I got pain. And I don't know how to get around it. I wish I could fix it for you. I really do, but I can't. But there's a God who says, I conquer everything. And I can sustain you in your grief. 
And I can take you into a kingdom where one day there will be no more grief. But I wonder if today you could just bring yourself as is to the Lord and say, God, can I find joy in you along with my grief? And let's just join the shepherds in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our stuff, and say, Jesus, thank you for coming to us and giving us joy in you. As the choir sings in just a moment, maybe we can just take this time not just to hear the words, but to join in with the shepherds and the angels in worshiping the Lord for bringing his son to us. And so, Lord, that's what we pray today. And Lord, I lift up all of us. Thank you for the blessings of this season, the fun we do get to have, the things we do get to enjoy. These are just gifts from you, and we're thankful. Forgive us, Lord, when we have tried to make them more than they could ever be and try to turn them into some sort of, I don't know, panacea for all of our ills when they, they never could. Well, can you help us just to enjoy them, but instead to find the true joy that can only come in a relationship with you? Lord, I want to lift up my brothers and my sisters, everyone in this room, even if you're here for the very first time, you have no idea who we are, but you're still walking in in grief. Lord, I lift every single person here who might be hurting or mourning. Could you meet us in our darkness? Could you meet us in our grief? And remind us that even here, you have come to us. And there's hope and life in you, not in myself or this world, but in you. And help us to turn to you and let you sustain us and give us joy, even in the presence of our grief, that we all together might worship you. So Lord, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for who you are. We choose to join with the angels and joyfully worshiping you. In your name we pray, amen.